The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We are talking Packer Jet storylines. We're also going to chat a little bit about picking off the Carolina Panthers. We'll also chat a little bit about Aaron Rodgers' comments to Pat McAfee on Tuesday. And then we'll break down David Stern's comments to the media as he did his final exit interview. And then we will ride out of here. I might do an impromptu tap list. But we'll see. I didn't want to promise it and then not do it. So we'll see what happens there. Before we get going, make sure that you're rating, reviewing, you're subscribing, you're doing all the things that we need you to do uh, to help boost this podcast, to help get people to know who we are, what we're doing. Uh, we appreciate all the love and support. If you have any ideas for the show, uh, here's where you hit us up. Tabbing the Keg on Twitter or Tabbing the Keg Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok. Uh, we will take all ideas. Um, I love ideas. I'm never going to say no to an idea. Um, I might not go with it, but I will at least listen to it. Uh, apologies for the late start today. Um, I was getting going and I was like, ah, I value a little bit more sleep. Uh, but I got, almost wish I would have just done the podcast last night. That's here nor there. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk Packer Jets storylines. It is Jets week. We have moved on from the Packers loss to the New York Giants. That is in the gutter. We are no longer thinking about that. It's now time for the Jets. So it's another team from New York, and it is not the doormat that the, that the New York sports teams have been in the football landscape for the last five years. The New York Jets are 3-2, and two, and people are wondering, will this be their moment? Last week, it was all about the Giants. This week, would it all be about the Jets? Beating a team like the Packers with how good they are and how good they've been is a tentpole moment for a franchise trying to turn it around. If this game was in the Meadowlands, I truly do believe it would be a very, very difficult game for the Green Bay Packers because most Jets fans are Mets fans. That's usually how it goes. Jets, Mets, um, I think Rangers or Islanders. That's kind of how the, the breakdown goes. And then it's Yankees, Giants, and Rangers um, on the other side of the table. I think you'd have a lot of fired up Jets fans. Like, I think it would be a full fucking house. I think they would be packed to the gills, ready to sort of make their statement. But the fact that it's in Green Bay, I do think you're going to get a lot of New York there. Um, I think for a lot of people, this was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity to get out to Lambeau Field. But still, the Packers will be back at their friendly confines, which definitely helps. They've been away from that a long time, and we can debate whether having not the extra game in, in Green Bay will ultimately end up hurting the Packers, which I do think will be a big topic of conversation as we go on. But the fact that they're back at Lambeau for another game is important and that they're able to sleep in their own beds, get re rested and recovered, and hopefully beat this Jets team. Now, for those who are maybe concerned about the jet lag, which is not in our storylines list and we'll get to in a second here, the jet lag didn't really affect the New Orleans Saints or the Minnesota Vikings last week. Uh, both teams covered. Uh, the Vikings were, no, actually the Vikings didn't, excuse me. They were eight and a half point favorites, but they won. Uh, both won outright. Uh, then there was one and one from a ATS perspective. Uh, the Vikings were able to win by seven. Uh, they took care of it. They got out early and maybe you saw a little bit of fatigue in the second half as the Vikings tried to give back a lead similarly to what the Packers did. And then the New Orleans Saints, it was back and forth all day. And then the Saints ended up pulling away from the very frisky Seattle Seahawks. 
and winning that football game. So both teams won. Um, I don't think there is a corollary yet to take not taking the week off after London. Uh, the Green Bay Packers were pretty adamant that they didn't want an early bye, and they, they were granted that. The Packers actually have one of the the longest running campaigns without a buy. So the Packers will be one of the last teams with a buy. And I think that's, that was what they wanted. I think they want the time off later. I think ideally everybody wants their buy probably week eight. Like if everyone could take week eight off, I think they would, but that's not how it works. It's not how the cookie crumbles. So anyways, we, we talk about Jets Packers storylines and we get ready for this game. And I think the number one is, are the Jets for real? I, I think you have to start there. Because everybody is seeing this as a litmus test for the for the Jets. Um, are the Jets for real? Are they going to be the team that is like their counterparts in the New York Giants? Will they sort of step up to the moment? And there'd be stuff that would tell you maybe it's a little bit too early for that. And maybe we are overreacting because they are a New York football team. The Jets are 3-2. and two, But the Jets have three wins against Jacoby Brissett, mostly Skylar Thompson, and Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky combination. Those are those three wins, okay? Their two losses are against Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow. I think that is partly why the line is uh, minus seven, and we can talk more about that on, on Friday's show. But I think that the Jets are a little bit overrated. I think we are overrating what we saw last week with the New York Jets. I think the Jets are likely a two and three football team. And it's the three and two because of they were able to knock Teddy Bridgewater out of the game early and they had Skylar Thompson operating at quarterback. And the Jets were able to then, you know, demolish the Miami Dolphins. And here we go. And here comes the hype. Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson are going to be calling the game for Fox. Um, I think they were supposed to do Steelers Buccaneers. And obviously with the Steelers being maybe the worst team in football, uh, they pivoted out of that, which is wise. Um, so you have Burkhart and Olsen calling this game, and that sort of obviously feels like the Jets have made it. If you look at the comments uh, by B Brian Castello, one of the beat writers for the Jets, who announced this on Twitter, like the Jets fans are like, oh my God, like this is a moment, like all this other stuff. So I think there is some pressure too on the Jets. Um, I think there's pressure on the Packers, don't get me wrong. Like the Packers after last week, have to respond. You go three and three and you lose to the Giants and Jets, it will be all out panic in Wisconsin. That will be a full blown panic button. We talked about panic button meter yesterday. Like that will adhere a huge, huge panic button if you were to lose to both, especially one being at home. So I, I think there's pressure though on the Jets. Like I think the Jets have this, like we need to show that we are legitimate. And I think there is some part of me that wonders if they are going to be exposed a little bit just because they're playing a better quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. Like that has to be considered when you're evaluating the Jets three and two. I realize it's a fun team. I realize it's a young team on the rise, but I, I really think the Jets are a year away from being a team that we all worry about. The number two storyline is the defensive bounce back. Of course, it's talking about the defense. You have to talk about the defense after what was such a rough game against the Giants. And I think we've maybe have swung, swung the pendulum a little bit too much on Joe Barry, which happens, right? Um, a lot of people want Joe Barry gone uh, after one really bad game. Um, and I know there's been other moments. I think the Vikings, there were moments there. The Patriots, there were moments there. 
I think Joe Barry just can't get dug into his scheme. And we've talked about that at nauseum for pretty much the entire season. I feel like that is the theme of the season thus far. And we discussed at the beginning of the year, which I said was loser mentality, but where you're trying to find the thing that might go wrong for this team because the Packers have seemed to be Super Bowl contenders for as long as I've been alive. And the Packers have only two Super Bowls to show for it. So what is the thing that's going to trick them up? And I think right now, if I were to handicap it, I would say it's the Packers getting too conservative on on defense. And they have no reason to against this New York Jets team. Yes, they're talented on the offense. You know, they have Garrett Wilson, they have Brees Hall, they have these new guys, Tyler Conklin, who is having sort of a breakout year at tight end. Uh, they have some good offensive linemen. Uh, Tucker, the, the guy from USC, is real, Vera Tucker is really talented on the interior. They have dudes, like don't get me wrong. But that said, like Zach Wilson, we don't know if he's a good quarterback. And they should be able to attack Zach Wilson. And no one's going to know Mike LaFleur's offense more than his brother, Matt. And you could say the same thing about Robert Salah and Mike, knowing what Matt's going to do. I think this is where having Aaron Rodgers is the ultimate difference because Aaron Rodgers can throw those guys off the set. There's going to be a lot more needed from Aaron Rodgers, which might scare fans because it's like, oh my God, like they're not going to run the football. Then. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that might be true. But Zach Wilson, I don't think has the ability to sort of change plays at the line and do things. And that's where you can make things frustrated. The Packers need to frustrate Zach Wilson. That's, you know, goal number one. And I think they need to make some fundamental changes to what they're doing defensively. And these are two perfect weeks to do it. I realize that the Jets record-wise are better than what we expected, but the Packers should beat the Jets. The Packers should beat the Commanders. There's no excuse for losing to either of those teams. So why not try some different things? Why not try to move Quay Walker around? Why not try to bring Darnell Savage up and do more with Darnell Savage? Why not you know, mess with what you're doing from an edge rush perspective and bring more on the edge or, you know, more less Dean Lowry and more Devontae Wyatt or more Jaron Reed or TJ Slayton, who I thought played really well uh, last week, maybe more of him, like do different shit. Like th- to me, this is a time to, con- I wouldn't say it's a kitchen sink game for Joe Barry, but it's a game that Joe Barry, I think needs to be more creative and less conservative and not get tight if things go wrong. If shit doesn't go right, it doesn't mean that you have to just revert into this conservative Ted Cruz-like, and I always use Ted Cruz. I, I mean, there's a lot of conservatives. I use Ron DeSantis. Ted Cruz is easy. It goes off the tongue. Like, I use Ron DeSantis. Uh, could use Donald Trump, obviously very uh, heavy. Could use Tim Michaels, um, Ron Johnson. I don't know. Any, whatever you wish, pick your favorite conservative. Like, we don't need Joe Barry to do that again. All right? And it's Andro. And if Joe Barry does that and it's a continued conversation and we're talking about it next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I mean, it's an issue. We have to, we have to really think through like, what, what is that? What's the outcome here? And I, I'm, I'm a little more nervous about it. And then as the more it happens, the more nervous I get and the more hesitancy I am at that Joe Barry is not going to take this team to a Super Bowl. And I just hope that a a tiger is able to change his stripes because that's kind of what you're asking Joe Barry to do is to get out of this like conservative mind fucked if something starts going wrong. Um, Hopefully he's listening to like Bruce Boudreaux uh, saying, oh, so shit's not going right. So shit's not going your way. 
And I, I hope he's listening to that, that halftime speech over and over again and just making sure to trust A, what he's doing a little bit, but B, not get so dug in on it when it's not working right that he's able to adjust. The adjustments are have been lacking from the defense, and it's time Joe Barry steps up and makes this Packers defense look like what we expect it to be and play to their strengths. And right now, I think they're not playing to their strengths, and I think that's what's frustrating this fan base with Joe Barry and why a lot of people want Joe Barry out of a job. Storyline number three is the running game battle. So we know the Packers have a good running game. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. They are one of the best running games in the NFL. Right now, according to DVOA, the Packers rank third in terms of running the football. They need to run the ball more. We talk about it all the time. I think it's been addressed when things aren't going right and they're losing games. It's because the Packers aren't running the ball enough. It's pretty cut and crystal clear. Now, the fact that Aaron Rodgers might going to have more control over the offense because of the LaFleur-Salah relationship, that does give you pause that they're not going to do that. But the Packers are going to have to win with those guys, and they can run on the Jets. The Jets' run defense has been leaky. Raheem Mostert had a very good game uh, with Miami last week. I think there's no reason to think that Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon can't have big games. And so they need to be fed, and they need to be a huge part of what the Packers are doing offensively early and often. But the New York Jets also like to run the football, and they also have a pretty good combination of running backs. Brees Hall is starting to break out. I think Brees Hall is what people expected him to be. You don't always see the rookie running backs shine through, but Brees Hall is definitely shining and looks ready for the moment and looks like a dynamic back for years to come for New York. Now, that might be a little bit overreactionary, but you get my point. Like I, I think Brees is good, and I think he's a guy you have to factor in. And they also have a really good second back in Michael Carter. Like Michael Carter is no slouch. So they have two really good running backs and the Packers need to make sure that they do not get going. And I imagine because of the worry of Zach Wilson making mistakes, they're going to rely on Hall and Carter to be a focal point of the offense early as well. And so the Packers run defense needs to be solid. They actually, that's the one thing, like Saquon I think had one or two big breakers, but for the most part, they did a pretty good job bottling up Saquon. And that's, I guess, more frustrating about the the Giants' loss is like they weren't able, they were able to kind of maintain Saquon for the most part. And then they were beat with him in the passing game. They were also beat through the air with Darius Slayton and other guys. Like it just didn't need to happen. So I really do, I really do think whoever wins the running back battle probably wins this football game. And the Packers need to make sure that they are emphasizing it. Other storyline, can the Packers get a fucking turnover? I mentioned Zach Wilson being a little bit shaky. I also think there are nerves because Zach Wilson, idol is Aaron Rodgers. Zach Wilson looks up to Aaron Rodgers. He's playing his idol. That's going to be drilled in. We're going to talk about national media storylines here in a hot second. So, uh, But I do think that that part of it is Zach Wilson making mistakes. You have to force Zach Wilson into some bad throws. And he is a little bit gunslinger at times and makes Zach Wilson beat you and makes Zach Wilson throw things that are might be a little erratic and actually force some turnovers. We have not seen Green Bay, Green Bay force any turnovers this year. And it's a huge reason why the Packers have been in so many close games thus far and why teams have been let back in. 
If Green Bay forces a turnover up 17-3 against New York, we're not talking about them losing to the Giants. If Green Bay forces a turnover against Bailey Zappi and the New England Patriots last week, they I think actually they did, but if they force more, if they force you know more action on, on that New England offense, maybe we're not going to overtime, right? So I, I think the Packers just need to be more opportunistic, and I really hope that this is the week we see it. Because the next two weeks, you can kind of start getting that opportunistic ability with this this quarterback in Wilson and then Carson Wentz next week. And also, too, like Josh Josh Allen, while as good as Josh Allen is, he'll, he'll have a fuck up in him. So if you can kind of start getting that swagger back of we're going to pick you off every time you step back to pass, I would really like that to return. And I don't know what that takes. If that means they're playing more up on guys and making it harder, so be it. Um, you know, I think they've played way too soft in terms of coverage, and you need to let guys like Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas cook. And hopefully, Joe Barry is going to allow that after a really brutal week five. And uh, turnovers are a huge factor. Last part, the NMM storylines of the week. Um, we are maybe going to do an NMM report at the end. I realize we didn't do it. Um, but... Uh, the, re- the reunion, uh, you have LaFleur and, and Sala, uh, you know, back together. That will be beat into the ground on Sunday. Um, all the, oh, yeah, do you know that they were best man at weddings? They're longtime friends. The whole, the whole gamut. Um, that will be a huge emphasis. And then you have the young old bull versus the young calf in the Rodgers-Wilson matchup as Wilson has idolized Rodgers. Um, so I think it's really important that the Packers jump on the pa- on the Jets early because I, I do think there's a little bit of potential tightness. And, and I think the Packers could take advantage of that early on. And that would be good. And don't let the Jets believe that they belong in this football game. Because I do think the Jets are the type of team that if you they they believe they've been a very good fourth quarter team and this isn't this wasn't mentioned in the storylines but I, I do think that the Jets once they get to the fourth quarter they start believing and and who knows what happens and so Green Bay needs to it'd be nice to just have like a 10 or 11 point win and be dominating pretty much throughout the entire game but we'll see um, that seems like it's too much to ask for we can't have a easy heartbeat game Moving on to a couple quick hitters before we talk about David Stearns. Uh, the Carolina Panthers are open for business. Carolina Panthers are trying to get draft picks and rebuild their roster. It's possible that the Panthers could be the, the worst team in football. I'm not ready to go there yet. I personally think the Pittsburgh Steelers are awful. I think the Washington Commanders are really bad. And then I think it's the Panthers. If that was my, like, who are the worst power rankings, I think those would be my three teams that I'd put in there. I think four might be the Bears. And, you know, yeah, they're playing on Thursday night. I get it. I I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if that game's a little more exciting than we think it is. I think both defenses aren't as good as the Colts and Broncos. So I, I could see that game being a little more exciting than the experts think. Who would be my fifth worst team? Shit. I'm trying to think. Ah, this bad radio. Uh, I don't know about the Texans because I was, I was going to say the Texans. I guess, I guess I'll put the Texans there, but I think the Texans are like, that's a little bit better. I think the Texans have to be there. That, that's probably the answer, right? Because they, I think they only have, they have two, but they have two wins, right? No, they have one win. I don't know. Whatever. Regardless, I'll put the Texans there for now. Um, but I think that would be the five worst. So anyways, 
that said, Panthers do not have the draft picks that some of these other teams do. They're definitely trying to acquire draft capital, which means that there might be players that the Packers could acquire. Packers have been mentioned with DJ Moore. I'm not surprised. I don't think the Packers are going to trade for DJ Moore. DJ Moore has a pretty intense contract. It's a large contract. Um, It would definitely course correct the Green Bay Packers who have not necessarily paid you know, receivers. Uh, Mike Sando had it on Ryan Rosillo's show yesterday, or Monday, excuse me, that Packers are 32nd in all of football in terms of how much they pay wide receivers. Four million is the average. Um, There is kind of no words for it. It's a little surprising, right? So they obviously could course correct that with DJ Moore, but I think they would need more than picks with DJ Moore just because of how the contracts work. Would you trade a guy like Darnell Savage? Would you trade a guy like Amari Rogers? Would you try to leverage some of your guys that you already have? Would you try to trade Jordan Love? Nah, that's a little bit interesting, right? Would you Would you there, would you float out Jordan Love for DJ Moore? Now, now we're talking a little bit here, right? If Aaron Rodgers thinks he's going to be there for two or three years, would you do a trade that involved those guys? Now, I do think that the Panthers, again, want picks, but they obviously have to try to load off some contract. So if it's DJ Moore and the third, or it's it's DJ Moore for Jordan Love and, the, and a third round pick or a fourth round pick, it's pretty good value for the Panthers. I don't know if fourth round, maybe it's third round. You, you probably have to do that. But would Green Bay actually entertain the idea of it? Aaron Rodgers has talked all the time about trust and chemistry and working with his guys. Would Aaron Rodgers immediately figure it out with a guy like DJ Moore or Odell Beckham Jr., who we talked about last week? Would would Aaron Rodgers suddenly, would it all suddenly click for Aaron Rodgers? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I, that's... That's the part that I think we don't do enough of is like, while we all want these guys, while everybody wants Odell Beckham, while everybody wants DJ Moore, you have a quarterback that has had trouble trusting guys and has trouble like, you know, immediately saying, all right, that guy is legit. I can trust that he's going to catch whatever ball that I throw to him. Like Aaron Rodgers said on Pat McAfee's show that he wants more from Lazard and Mercedes Lewis. What? Like... If, I, if I'm looking at this and I'm Matt LaFleur, that scares me because that means less about Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. And Christian Watson has basically been frozen out. And is that Watson's fault or is that Rogers' fault? I think you'd have to look at the All-22 and that's something that I don't do personally. But you'd have to look at sort of the film and say, all right, are there moments where it's like, hey, Christian Watson's open. Like throw the ball to Christian Watson. He's barely gets targeted. It's... It's a little bit concerning. Romeo Dobbs, I think, was the best player, according to Pro Football Focus, which, again, not gospel, a secondary knowledge. But if Romeo Dobbs had the most efficient day, according to Pro Football Focus, and only caught the ball five times, and was only targeted five times, I believe, like, that's a problem, man. And we're getting into a near-awkward discussion about Aaron Rodgers. And I'm not ready to have it, um, but we're getting closer and closer. A lot of the Geno Smith stuff we're seeing in Seattle just makes me wonder if that we'd see similar shit with Jordan Love. I'm just, just say it. I'm, I'm just gonna say it, and we're gonna leave it there, and we'll we'll move on. 
Uh, as for the other side of the ball for the Panthers defensively, Jeremy Chin is the guy that stands out to me. He's a former second-round pick. Uh, he's on IR currently. Uh, he, the problem with Jeremy Chin is uh, I don't know if he's any different than Darnell Savage. Jeremy Chin in 2021 had an above-average grade according to Pro Football Focus. Chin was an awesome tackler. He had 107 tackles, but part of that could have been the Panthers' defense, right? That they, they needed Chin to be that last line of defense, which he certainly was. He's a pretty good tackler at, at the safety position, but he also graded out in terms of a pass defense at 105-point passer. 105 was the passer rating against Jeremy Chin uh, last year. That's not good. It's not going to get it done. And that makes me wonder, is Jeremy Chin just another Darnell Savage? Because that's kind of the problem with Savage, right? Savage can stop the run. Uh, he was he made some bad t- missed tackle last week, but typically Savage has been able to stop the run, and then he gets burned on the pass. I don't know how different Jeremy Chin would be. I think the Packers have to look in other places for safety help. And I've been on the flag, and I don't know if I've planted it here, certainly planted it outside talking to friends, like, I want a safety more so than I want a wide receiver. Um, I think that, to me, is the priority for the Green Bay Packers and not necessarily the wide receiver position. So we'll see if they have any options. I, Brian Burns has been other than I mentioned, but the Packers really don't have room for Brian Burns and the price that it would cost to make sense. Um, if the Packers were like, fuck it, we're just going to have an awesome pass rush, and you have Gary, Burns, and Preston Smith all coming at you at the same time, um, it would be otherworldly um, but then again you have to sacrifice something else for that so I don't know if they would do that but it would be it, it would be something else I'll tell you that um, I, I but again I highly doubt it because I think Burns is going to cost you a second round pick maybe a third round pick it could even be a first round pick he's a really good player um, and yes he could be a Von Miller like addition even more I think more more than a Von Miller addition um, but still I I don't think that Brian Burns is on the table for the Packers I did mention Rodgers and, and McAfee. Uh, we kind of touched on the the Lewis and Cobb thing, which gives me a little bit of pause and a little bit of worry. Uh, I think the commentary about the commentary about expectations was a good one. I think the Packers know it, and I, I'm not surprised by it. Um, it's just you got to live up to it. You, if you're going to talk that shit, like do it. And it's not that he's even talking shit. It's just like if you know the expectations are there, then the standard is the standard and you need to adhere to that. And that's what ex- was expected. I think the also the idea that the Packers really didn't get the ball back in the second half and Aaron Rodgers not necessarily taking ownership that, okay, Wink, they had the ball and it was partly due to the coin toss, which I, I mean – it's a fair excuse, right? He's like, we got the ball back, and then the Giants get the ball back, and we're, you know, they were able to put together a drive, and we didn't get our second possession in the second half until 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Again, that's partly on the defense, but also, too, I, I can't believe Aaron Rodgers' brain doesn't click in to say we should have ran the football and started to establish ourselves a little bit more. Again, no accountability from Aaron Rodgers. And to me, my patience is wearing more thin with the quarterback than ever before. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it is the Geno Smith thing that I just mentioned. I don't know if it's just the performance has not been there. I think when you're performing and you're dealing and you're, you know, 300 yards plus, it's much easier to to say, all right, we're you're okay, man. We can do whatever the fuck you want. But when it's not going well and shit's not working right, like then it's time to see like, all right, when do we look in the mirror and say, 
I need to adapt. And we've talked about that all week, about the superhero stuff, uh, which had some great lessons on it. Thank you. Um, and if you missed Monday's show about Aaron Rodgers being the superhero, make sure that you go check that out because I, I do believe there's a little bit of that with uh, number 12. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm sure I'll have more comments with the media today um, when he talks to the local media on his normal Wednesday. Um, and we'll see what transpires from there. Speaking of talking to the media, we had David Stearns um, in his exit interview on yesterday, and we'll do a little bit of uh, Fire Joe Morgan style. If you're unfamiliar with Fire Joe Morgan, it was a longtime website created by Michael Schur, who now, before that, he didn't have these accolades, but now he has accolades of being the creator of Parks and Recs and The Good Place, arguably two of the best sitcom television shows of the last 10 years. Um, and if you haven't seen The Good Place, I think a lot of people have seen Parks and Recs, right? It's the natural transition from The Office and many people have watched it. But if you haven't seen The Good Place, I could not recommend it enough. It's a great fun watch. It's a really, it's a really easy watch and it's great. And the characters are awesome and sure does a great job. Anyways, so Fire Joe Morgan, basically how they would set it up is they would have a quote and then they'd say kind of what, what it meant underneath. So we are going to do it with David Stearns, Kurt Hogg, uh, providing us the quotes, which I appreciate for Kurt, for Kurt uh, to do this. Um, he had this where David Stearns said there was a host of reasons why the team fell short, including a trade deadline that didn't adequately fortify the team for the stretch run. I agree with that. Um, the pack, the Brewers, excuse me, had a ton of injuries. They they were very injury prone this year. I have been critical that I felt like the strength and development team let them down when it came to the injury category. That why were there so many injuries this year versus last year and the years past? Is that just injury luck, which we talk about in football more so than we do baseball? Um, I I think there's that's part of it. But he he is right that the trade deadline didn't do enough and. They could have tried to get something more offensively and tried to get another bat, a more consistent bat. I think they trust their guys a little bit too much. I do wonder if that is a lesson for next year. Their bullpen was also a complete disaster with Rodgers and Bush. And I do wonder, will Green, will Milwaukee course correct any of that? Will they, will they try to look at this and say, all right, we need to do something different when it comes to our bullpen next year? Stearns on the expectation of Yelich going forward. Because of 2018 and 19 performance, he's always going to be held to a higher standard. I do think there's more in Christian and a better offensive player than we saw this year. 100% right on the first part. I think that fans have got spoiled with Yelich. I went on a huge rant about that like a month ago with Mitch when Mitch was all gloom and doom and gloom about Yelich. And I, I kind of went off. And this is right around when Yelich was getting hot. So maybe more than a month ago. Maybe it was two months ago. But yeah, I, I do think Yelich gets held to an unfair standard. Stearns is right about that. He's also right about Yelich just needs to be better. I agree. We need Christian Yelich back to a 20 home run, 280 guy. That's, that, to me is the, that to me is the Christian Yelich that we want and that we haven't got in a long time. And so I think that's the Yelich that I think Stearns is referring to, that I think we as fans should expect him to be. I would imagine Christian Yelich starts out in the leadoff spot next year. Um, and I don't, I don't think that anything's really changing from that. Um, and so I do think you'll have that, that part of Yelich. 
question is, will Yelich be able to be better on the offense? Or will, again, we see some of the similar shit we saw this year? I think there is a ton of pressure on Christian Yelich next year because I think it's now a three-year sample of just badness. And I realize one of those is the Mickey Mouse COVID year, but still, fans don't care about that. They just look at the stats. And the stats show the last three years have been an utter train wreck. Stern said he was pleased with the job that uh, Ozzie Timmons and Connor Dawson, two hitting coaches, did this year. I don't know what the fuck he's watching. I really don't. Um, I'm not saying to fire those guys. I think uh, you don't want to just have a one-year sample. And so maybe they're do- they were doing stuff that got those guys in position. But why couldn't anything be fixed in the second part of the season? Why couldn't they figure out how to hit lefties? I would be very curious to see Timmons and Dawson's notes on a lot of those things and to understand what necessarily what necessarily went on. Stearns was also asked about the Mets. He kind of shook that off. He said, I'm not going to pay attention to that. We'll just have to wait and see. I think that's going to be more of a story in November. Um, when baseball's over, the hot stove kind of starts. That's when we're going to start seeing if David Stearns is jetting off to be the be a front office team, front office guy for the team that he grew up cheering for. So this is the big quote. Asking about the, the core, the timeline of the Brewers core, increasing the urgency to spend in the short term. I think there's time to intelligently invest in free agency. and There is a time to invest, and I think we've done that. Stearns also is asked about missing the playoffs and if that's the process of not significantly adding to the roster last season and, it cha- and if it changes the outlook to this winter. Stearns dances around and says the, the core of the team is sound. So he doesn't really give an answer there. This was the one that I think tripped a lot of Brewer fans' trigger and said, what do you mean? We haven't spent enough money. Remember, the teams with the top payroll are in the playoffs. The teams with the top payrolls have large media markets. The the Brewers are spending more than the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Guardians, who both made the playoffs. I think we can champion that. Could the Brewers spend a little bit more? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I do also think if the Brewers spend more, what is that consequence, right? Are you okay? It, like, hypothetically speaking, and I don't think they could sign him because I think he's going to make way too much money. I expect Nolan Arenado to opt out this season, right? An MVP-like year, I think Nolan Arenado is going to get paid. Let's just say the Brewers dropped a bag on Nolan Arenado. So you know what the consequence of that would be, right? No Corbin Burns. No Corbin Burns contract anytime soon. Brandon Woodruff, again, going to keep working on his same contract. Jackson Torrio, if he comes up next year, and Torrio and a lot of the young guys now, the Julio Rodriguez is the, um, i trying to think other guys, uh, Michael Harris, um, other Austin Riley got a huge contract, but these guys are getting big contracts right out the gates. Jackson Torrio probably wouldn't get that if you have another big contract like Christian Yelich's and you have the Yelich and Arenado combination. So I think that sometimes clouds the judgment and so I don't know that's going to be a discussion topic for a lot of people and the Brewers do have a lot of young talent next you know ready to go next year and I would make the case that that young talent should some of it should be moved in a trade to either bolster bullpen to either add another starter to the rotation which I I don't necessarily think the Brewers need to do and I know their long-term plan is Peralta and Ashby and then we'll see what happens with Woodruff and Burns. And I do think that 
at some point you have to have conversations with both those guys about, hey, look, we want to sign, we want to sign one of you, if not both of you. And are you guys going to be willing to cooperate to get that done? I don't know if they will, right? And I don't, I don't expect them to, right? Like I'm not trying to say they have to. But when does that discussion start happening? Because I think it will. And Willie Adams is another one that you have to start thinking about. So those are all guys that you have to take care of your own. And I guess our fans going to be okay with that. And Mitch and I are going to talk on a, on a, a little bit more on how to fix the Brewers, what changes will be made. Um, I, I'm going to kind of work in the lab today. So this is kind of part one of part two. Um, and then Stearns hold himself accountable. And then Stearns basically also said, you know, he took the blame about the Josh Hader trade. Like, and we heard that last week with the comments he made to Brian D of TMJ. And again, that goes back to Stearns is just a little too much of a robot. And he didn't respect players' feelings. And look, I, I think the last to wrap a bow on that, I, I do think that David Stearns recognizes that this is a good thing for the players to hear. That Stearns is like, I'm sorry this happened. This will never happen again. If we have an opportunity like this again, we will talk to the leaders of this team before we do anything out of the ordinary. And even if it means, you know, murmurs around the clubhouse, because get look, even though it's perceived as the women are the drama queens, men are drama queens too. <laughs> like we'll, we can talk a lot of shit and we do talk a lot of shit in our group chats and things like that. So it's, it, it would be talked about if like, Woodruff, let's say they went to Woodruff and like, hey, we're thinking about trading, trading Hader. Woodruff would definitely let everybody know that. Like, oh, they're, they're thinking of, of, of trading Hader. So anyways, we'll see what happens. Um, they were a little more there, but obviously with us talking about it tomorrow too, I don't want to take too many bites out of the apple um, and leave, leave nothing for Mitch and I to discuss. So we will get into that. All right, we're at time. I was going to do a tap list on worst places to visit because I visited the dentist yesterday. It went fine. Um, maybe we'll do that for Friday. Um, maybe we'll also include some M NMM, um, talk a little MLB playoffs since we only had one game of the divisional series yesterday. Um, so maybe we'll do that on Friday. So let's let's book that for Friday. Let's do some NMM. Let's do some tap list on Friday. We'll do worst visits and we'll do... Um, just the National Media Murph Report, as well as uh, we'll talk about the betting lines. I thought the podcast with the betting stuff went, went well yeah, last week. Uh, we got a really good response on it too. So we'll try to do it exactly the same. Um, just more talking about how confident we feel about everything. And yeah, look forward to talking to you guys then. All right, we'll be back with Mitch tonight. Um, so make sure that you're rating, reviewing, subscribing. Um, and if you have any suggestions for today's show, for tomorrow's show, uh, make sure you're hitting us up on social media. Tap into Kegger, tap into Keg Sports. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Wednesday, and we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.